0: The following program is brought to you by Total Theater Online. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff or management of WGBB. You're listening to the station that serves your community, 1240 WGBB.
1: And now it's time for Dave's Gone By with David Lefkowitz.
0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Dave's Gone By. January 12th it is, and time once again for 90 minutes of talk radio, music, comedy, and nostalgia, brought to you by Total Theater and Performing Arts Insider Magazine. Now this is not, by nature, a nostalgia show. I'm not Joe Franklin, and I make that distinction because he's one of the few people on the planet I'm taller than, but I love Joe, who takes credit for coining the word nostalgia, or at least its popular usage. The word goes back to 1770. Taken from the Greek, meaning a longing for something past, a yearning, a homesickness. Well, tonight, we indulge in a little house sickness. Television fans, prepare for a treat, because we'll be talking to one of the TV moms of the yuppie generation, one of the epitomies of a loving matriarch coping in not always easy situations. But hey, if Carolyn Ingalls can endure floods and fires and mixed marriages and blind children and dead babies, she just might be able to survive this show. But that's right, Karen Graslie beamed into your living rooms for eight seasons as Ma Ingalls on Little House on the Prairie. Tonight, will coast through your radio waves on this program, Dave's Gone By. And as I said, nostalgia isn't a mainstay of this program. I know the title can be deceptive. Dave's Gone By, people think of days gone by, and that's cool, because we do play some old music from all different decades, and we reminisce about history, we sometimes celebrate birthdays of famous people and musicians and celebrities, but it's not like you'd hear this show blaring through the doors of a nursing home, it'd be nice, I wouldn't mind reaching an elderly audience especially one with disposable income and just a little decimal confusion when they write out checks with my name on them. No, but a little nostalgia is a good thing. It's a coping mechanism. You go through ups and downs over a certain period of time, and you try to dwell on the good parts. Everybody gets dreamy when talking about the 1940s, because Sinatra was crooning, and Rosies were riveting, and Proud Boys were overseas, and life seemed simpler. Unless, of course, you were overseas, and some kamikaze pilot decided his life was worth sacrificing to expunge yours, or you came back crippled or physically debilitated, or you lived in poverty, or you were black living in the South. Yesterday's KKK pin is today's eBay Curio. And sure, the 50s were fun. I guess. I wasn't there. But I was influenced to think they were fun by Happy Days, by American Graffiti, by Leave it to Beaver and Japanese monster movies. But ask anyone working in Hollywood how much fun they were having under the siege of McCarthy. Ask kids how they felt having to practice ducking under their desks during bomb drills, knowing full well that under atomic attack, their clothing, their skin, and their desk would basically fuse into one object. And hey, let's not forget the golden age of Korean warfare. Now, comedian Robert Klein did a whole album setting up 50s nostalgia, and it was his era. So even when he's being darkly cynical, there's an element of warmth, of harking back, of nostalgia. And of course, as time moves faster, as decades rush by in a whirl of technology and media, nostalgia zips by with it. People are already nostalgic for the 1980s. New Wave, the Me Decade, early video games, the first Reagan years. This has now become packaged memory. Look at the VH1 specials or Taboo on Broadway, the show by Boy George, about Boy George, and the starring Boy George, but not as Boy George. He's played by another actor. The show is basically a fond look back at an era that seemed incredibly weird and decadent at the time, but in retrospect, well, you put that sheen of age on it, that sepia tone of years, and it's like, ah, Remember when the kids all dressed up like transvestite stormtroopers and geisha girls and danced all night to blaring repetitive music and did incredible amounts of drugs and had indiscriminate straight and gay sex and were incredibly selfish and died of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and AIDS? Ah, those were the days. What times we had. But they say survival is the first rule of victory, so everyone who survived that decade, and maybe really did enjoy it, I guess they're entitled to put whatever face on it they want to. You can always look back in anger, but it's probably better for your blood pressure to look back in fond, quizzical bemusement, which is kind of what this show tries to do every week. Certainly anger creeps in every now and again when there's something in the news or some ongoing injustice that rouses my ire. But basically, Dave's Gone By is a way to look at the weak and the world in a skewed, kind of off-center, kind of what-the-hell-are-we-doing-here kind of way. We do it with music, we do it with sketches and monologues, and we do it with a news gong by, a weekend update-style roundup of the week's headlines and head scratchers, and we do it every Monday night, 6.30 to 8 p.m. on AM 1240 WGBB and am1240wgbb.com live streaming on the Internet. Now, the Internet was down for a couple of days last week, and my show on the 5th, did not stream. I do apologize for that. The station took the web audio down for a couple of days, and apparently they improved it a bit. I don't know all the technical stuff, but they say that now a lot more people can listen by internet at the same time. I guess it's a bandwidth thing, but before, only a few thousand folks, potentially, could listen to the station at one time. And any any more than that couldn't log on, could not get a signal. But now, they say, the limit is nearly unlimited, which I find hard to believe. But hey, even if it's gone from 10,000 to 100,000, good news is good news. So I applaud WGBB for taking that step. I again apologize if the stream was down last week, and I urge you to take advantage and tell your friends and relatives and enemies and domestic help to take advantage of the live stream And do listen in. Internet streaming isn't cheap, so let's show the radio station that their time and trouble were worth the effort. That people do listen on the web, and that the reach of Dave's gone by goes beyond Freeport, or Babylon, or Staten Island, or Manhattan, but all over the country, all over the world, potentially. So again, if you're listening on the net, drop me an email, or the station an email. Dave's gone by at AOL.com. Dave's gone by, no apostrophe, at AOL.com. Let us know you're out there. Let us know if the signal is good, or let us know if you can't hear it. That's even more important. Let us know that being able to hear this program on your home computer, or in a hotel in Vegas, or in an office on West 39th Street, that you appreciate that convenience and want to make sure it keeps going. And as long as you're at it, You can also mention just how much you love and venerate this program, Dave's Gone By, and just how much you admire me, Dave Lefkowitz, radio personality, journalist, critic, and humorist, and just how nostalgic you'll be feeling 50 years from now when you think about the shows old Dave used to do back in the early aughts. Hey, remember when he had that opera guy on? You'll say, remember when he sang that song about M&Ms? Remember when he had Karen Grasley on from some TV show called Little House on the Prairie? And remember when television broadcasting only two dimensions and not seven? Oh, those primitive 2000s. But speaking of nostalgia, I confess, I'm not gonna fake it, okay? I have to admit that until recently I'd never seen a complete episode of Little House on the Prairie. I know, there were nine seasons of it, and a couple of reunion movies, but it just wasn't my thing. I guess every decade needs its versions of Touched by an Angel or Seventh Heaven. The two for the 70s were The Waltons and Little House, based on the autobiographical books by Laura Ingalls Wilder. That's the character played as a child by Melissa Gilbert. But just the fact of doing a hit TV series, an almost legendary television series for nearly a decade, I find fascinating. I mean, I assume you really give up your life to feed that entity, that teletronic monster. And in return, you get fame and a happy accountant. And in exchange, you give... Well, we'll find out. After her years on the prairie, Karen did a couple of TV movies in the mid-'80s and some Broadway shows and regional theaters since then. But she's still most closely identified with Little House and the character of Carolyn Ingalls, even if her departure from the show came after a rather public feud with the writers and producers. We'll get into that in a little bit. But she's apparently made her piece with The Prairie, so she's on a whistle-stop tour doing publicity for the show as it's being released on DVD. The first four full seasons of Little House are now on DVD in packaged sets from a company called ImaVision. I-M-A-V-I-S-I-O-N. Or maybe they pronounce it ImaVision. Each set has six DVDs in it. It's all nicely put together, impressive looking, but still of a manageable size. I sound like Joel Blumberg doing the DVD report. No, but they got Karen Grasley to bury the hatchet, I guess, and promote the show and the release on DVD. So, um... We will also have the weekly news gone by on this episode, a look at the world as if it were a little asylum on the prairie. News stories this week include items about Mars, McMuffins, fish, sperm, Indians, glass eyes, and flaming hair. Ah oh, yeah, we got a show for you. And although we will be raking over g Ragged ground with Little House on the Prairie, please be advised, as always, that this program is rated DGB-13, the Dave's Gone by equivalent of PG-13. Nothing so raunchy as FCC-21, though you might hear a phrase or two to make even Nellie Olsen blush. But without further ado, let's construct our Little House on the Radio with Karen Grasley, the centerpiece of the living room, the news gone by, the sturdy walls and beams, my monologues and rents are the plumbing and lighting fixtures, and the brick and mortar that keep the whole house sturdy and held together, well, those are the commercials, of course. Why, here's a couple of strong red bricks right now. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By, and Dave's got guests. In fact, well, a guest, and uh, very proud and happy to have our special guest on this episode, which is called Little House on the Radio, because (laughs) uh, the guest that I have laughing very quietly in the background, um, well, she's one of the more famous moms on TV over the past couple of decades. Um, I got an email from uh, one of the listeners who knew that our guest was coming on the program, and she said, I am so jealous. This is from Joy of uh, Great Neck. She's so jealous because... I'm interviewing Mrs. Ingalls, who is on my top three list of television mothers that I wish I had. She wishes she had Elise Keaton of Family Ties, Maggie Seaver on Growing Pains, and, of course, these are her words, and, of course, Caroline Ingalls of Little House on the Prairie. And so, we do have her for this segment. Very happy to welcome Karen Grasley to Dave's Gone By. Hi, Karen. Hi, Dave. How are you? Well, I'm just fine. You're you're actually you're in New York, which is which is great. Um, where do you normally live these days? I,
1: I normally <laughs> normally is a good question. Um, I live in Southern California in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I have been very much a gypsy for the past almost nine months, and um, that's because I was at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival for six months last year. Mm-hmm. And since that season closed, I've been in Northern California, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, New York, Hawaii, Los Angeles, and here I am in New York again.
0: And it's since the OSF, it's basically been promoting. Uh, Little House, or have you been doing more regional theater and and stuff like that? Well,
1: I've just been all over the map with different things. Some of it has been for the new DVDs that are out Mm -hmm. of Little House, and some of it has been strictly pleasure.
0: (laughs) Okay. Hey, Hawaii. Which one was Hawaii? That was pleasure. I figured. Yeah, okay. Um, So, all right, why don't we start then with uh, the basic push, the the reason that... um, you know, you're you're doing some of this traveling and, and some of this promoting. Yes. There is a DVD or several DVDs out now of the seasons of Little House. I think it's the first four complete entire seasons.
1: Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's It's yeah. um, the first three seasons. Oh. Yeah. And the fourth season will be out in February, in time for my birthday.
0: Uh, when is your birthday, by the way?
1: The 25th.
0: Make a note of it, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> send your presents to Karen wherever she happens <laughs> no to be that presents,
1: week, please. <laughs> um,
0: and and the present uh, that maybe you wouldn't send Karen, but the the present that you would send each other for your birthdays are these DVD series. They're they're. Um, I do have a, a packet of one of them. It's very nicely done. There's it six is, isn't it? six DVDs in a set, and it, it looks like a little book almost, uh, yes. almost like a children's it's book. That,
1: it takes up very little shelf. You know, these videotapes were so cumbersome, and these DVDs are great because it takes up less space for a whole season than it took up for two hours.
0: And do they have extra stuff on them?
1: You know, they don't have the extra stuff, but I do know that some of the specials are available, like the pilot, Mm. and the. um, they have extra photos you know, um, still photos. Okay. But they are thinking about whether to put on some extra stuff for the uh, ones that are to come out in the future. So I guess it would be good to hear from people if that's something they would enjoy.
0: Well, I mean, I can almost assume that it's something that they would, but sure, people people shouldn't. What is the, the company's Imovision or Imovision? Yes, you...
1: and that's a very good company out of Montreal. And... Um, I've been working with them on this, and uh, it's a privilege because, you know, this is our 30th anniversary of Little House on the Prairie, and I can still be very proud of this product. It stands up.
0: Let's go back. Let's think in terms, because people basically know you as... On you know, this character, Carolyn Ingalls, and we'll, we will certainly get to that. In fact, half the questions I'm going to ask towards the end of this segment will be from uh, that reader in Great Neck, because she's was such a big fan and has all these questions that I don't even, you know, aren't even in my consciousness. But before mm-hmm. that, let's go back to Karen Graslie when she was first um, coming into her own as an actress, as a performer. Now, you you graduated from UC Berkeley. Yes. And then you had a Fulbright scholarship, in fact. Yes. And then was it acting all the way, or was something else?
1: No, it was acting all the way. I I had a Fulbright to London to study acting. I came back and got my equity card and did my first season here in the States at a resident theater in Memphis, Tennessee.
0: Wow, is it still there? No. I didn't know there were any theaters in Tennessee at this point. Yeah.
1: No, it isn't. Um, I think there uh, is another theater there. So now and uh, then I came to New York City to um try my fortune and it was very trying. I did land a couple of good jobs right away, but then I had one of those dry spells where you wonder if you'll ever work again and um then I I did have some nice work here um on Broadway and for Shakespeare in the Park and um I did then go back to London to teach uh, some voice work and I joined a Shakespeare company over there and I was doing Shakespeare, came back to this country and it was about that time that somebody offered me a film in Los Angeles and I went out there and the film fell through, but I was there so I uh, did get seen for Little House on the Prairie And um, that is how it all got going.
0: And, okay, here's a question, and this did not come from our our friend in Great Neck, but um, I I hope it doesn't stun you with this. Who is Kay Dillinger?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Kay Dillinger. Kay
0: Dillinger and Gabriel Tree. Who are these people?
1: Those were names that I thought up that I should change my name. Because before I got Little House on the Prairie, I had done so many jobs, and I had, had um, what I thought were some good opportunities, but I still didn't have what I could call a career. And I had spent all my savings while I was working with this Shakespeare group in England, and I thought, well, you know, maybe what I need is a new persona. If I change my name and make up a story about who I am, then maybe I'll become a big success. So I was toying with those two names. Kay Dillinger, I chose because of the gangster Dillinger. Right. And I thought that will make me tough, and I'll be able to stand all the rejections. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, Gabriel, and why? I mean, a relatively male ish name. I mean, it worked for Michael Lerner, I guess, but but no, why why Gabriel Tree?
1: Well, Gabrielle is uh, the feminine of Gabriel, Mm -hmm. and uh, Gabriel, of course, is a very blessed name. It's an angel's name. And then Tree is the name of a very distinguished old family. Or Herbert Beerbaum Tree, yeah. There you go. So I thought if I had the name of a very distinguished old moneyed family then that would give me some kind of protection in this tough world.
0: Hmm. But these names did not last, of course, and and someone convinced you to to stay and go back to Grassley and there was no problem.
1: Right, and my father, Gene Grassley, was very grateful that I (laughs) didn't change my name. He would have been very disappointed. My parents had been... uh, really very supportive of my efforts in the theater and had traveled many miles to see me perform in lots of different venues and so it would have been kind of tough on them if i hadn't been karen grassley when i finally got a job that everybody recognized you know everybody said well now you've made it
0: um let me ask you as you said you did some Shakespeare in the park. Um uh-huh. any Joe Papp stories? Did you deal with him at all? he oh, was yes a character. I
1: did. Joe was wonderful to me. Mm-hmm. Um he was very encouraging to me in fact. At one point he said, uh, how's my favorite actress? Oh. And I've almost fell off my chair. I was so flattered.
0: That's sweet. That is yeah, really sweet. It was very nice. So then, okay, I'm going to dance around Little House and and save that still for a bit. And let's go to the end of that, um, which is, I guess, about two decades ago. And since then, um, you had the name, you had established yourself, and yet getting work in television and theater, when you reach a certain age, as it were, did, did you run into that wall that actresses run into at a certain point?
1: What are you talking about? After the series? Yeah. Well, after the series, the truth is that I really wanted to have my own family. And um, I was asked to do certain movies of the week and certain um, television series wanted me to come and meet them. And I said, thank you, but no thank you. I really wanted to have the experience that I had been acting about for a long, long time, hmm. and my energy went into having a family at that point. So I think um, at that time, I I think I had the second highest TVQ in the country. Um,
0: a TVQ meaning that people had a recognizable yeah. and identifiable pers- yeah. persona of you, yeah,
1: yeah, uh, in terms of women, and um, I. I didn't really take advantage of that momentum, you know, and go Mm -hmm. on to yet another show. I really felt like the wonderful thing about Little House was that it freed me economically, and I could make my own choices about what to do with my life and what to do with my career. So I really wanted this family, and um, I married, and I uh, had three stepchildren, and um, my husband and I adopted a little girl baby, and uh, this is my daughter that I've raised. And uh, it's been extremely um, satisfying for me to be a parent. And so it was possible for me to do the odd job here and there, mm-hmm. but I felt like, after all, I'd waited so long to be a parent, I didn't want to miss those years.
0: Right, and, and but, so then yeah. I
1: did work in the theater because
0: that allowed you to do short-term things yes. and to to come back after like three months and yes. or two months even. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that basically, you know, I was either uh, able to be home with her in the afternoon or home with her in the evening.
0: And now mm-hmm. that I guess I don't know how old your youngest is, the youngest ad- adopted child, but I assume you're sort of out of the nest at this point. And you're able yes, to do.
1: Yes, yeah, she is out of the nest.
0: So are you now looking to do more steady? Are you looking to get back into the world of TV? Or are you still very comfortable you know, just, not just, but doing theater and doing lectures and doing that kind of thing?
1: Well, I don't think of it as just, that's for sure. Right. I love the contact with the audience. I love uh, doing um, very fine writers, whether they be Shakespeare or... Another classic writer, or whether it's a brand-new writer, I've done a lot of original work, too. I was active at the uh, Actors' Theater of Louisville in the Humana Festival. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, it's just satisfying to do good work. And Mm -hmm. um, particularly for an actor, I think it's very gratifying to have that personal, physical connection with your audience.
0: Well, if, now I guess we will go back to um, Little House and and the character that you established on that and the okay. fact that it is a very beloved series in its way and yet during the the later years you did I I it was pretty open that you had some difficulty with how little your character was allowed to do. Um, do you want to you know go into that at all? Well, uh,
1: you know the guys that that uh, developed Little House and. Uh, A lot of the writers for it did come out of Bonanza and the whole Western uh, metier. Mm -hmm. And so they were oriented to a guy's point of view. And I was looking for this character to expand and to be more representative of the strong woman that she actually was. Uh, so sometimes I was very frustrated because you know they'd give me more coffee dear <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. and i wanted and I wanted to do more. They were very, very uh important creative years for me as a as an actress and i you know there were a lot of parts going by while I was on the series
0: right um
1: what happened?
0: No, I think that's on your side, actually. That, that little musical thing. So, um not sure what that was, but it was kinda kinda cute, kinda sweet. Um now getting to some questions from Joy of Great Neck, who, is, as I said, was he is a huge fan of Little House. So don't blame me for these if if you don't like them. But
1: um
0: <laughs> Okay. Okay, well well let's start with um well, I mean, I, I think I can answer this one, but do, do you think it was a good plot move for the writers to have Mary, Laura's sister, go blind?
1: Oh, It wasn't a plot move. It was actually what happened to Mary, the character that uh, the series is based on. You know, these were all real people that lived in the 1800s, mm-hmm. and uh, Laura really did write these books when she was an old lady, and Mary really did go blind. Oh, okay. And uh, that was not a decision made by Hollywood producers. That was something that was known in advance that that would come about uh, just as it was known in advance that Miss Beadle would only do three seasons and then a new school teacher would come on.
0: Oh, okay. But when the show became popular, I guess I'll rework the question then, was there any pressure to to not have the blindness angle from the higher-ups, from networks that didn't want to rock the boat or anything?
1: Not at all. Cool. In fact, that was a a very beautiful uh, episode uh, when Mary lost her sight and um, Melissa Sue Anderson was nominated for an Emmy for her work in it. Uh, So... I think everybody was pretty happy about it. Cool. I mean, of course, it was terribly sad for the audience.
0: Well, yeah, but but the, the actual writing and, and the issues being dealt with were important, and, and the acting yes, rose and these to meet. and things yeah. do
1: happen, you know. I mean, people do get illnesses or develop handicaps, and then people have to deal with them.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at South Park. Kenny dies in every episode. So. <laughs> um but how about also where the, the outside, uh, well, the media world impedes upon the actual production world? So,
1: can you, I'm sorry, can you oh, well, phrase that
0: again? Yeah, in other words, um, like one of the things uh, our, our listener brings up is that uh, perhaps was there a problem when Michael Landon, who was... Identified as this very wholesome Charles Ingalls, you know, he had that whole marriage thing, and he married a much younger woman. I mean, did that stuff, the outside stuff, in any way impede or 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 make or sour or soil the inner workings of your day-to-day, you know, TV life?
1: Well, you know, Michael was the creative person who made all final decisions on our show. And um, if Michael was affected, we were affected. Um, it mm-hmm. was, needless to say, extremely awkward when he was falling in love <laughs> on the set, and we knew his wife, you know. I mean, that was, that was extremely awkward.
0: But you were still able to get around it and, um, and, and do what you had to do. You no, know, we were yeah.
1: all professionals, even the children.
0: I would love to know, and and this is just a question from me, and this, this is one of the ones I really wanted to ask, someone who was is, who is on a an hour-long TV series, you know, I guess you did 26, roughly, episodes a year, uh-huh. for the, the course of a week, what was your life like?
1: You don't have a life. Right. So... You have a series. So let's say unless Sunday you're morning... Doing, yeah. Unless you're doing a half-hour comedy, then their schedule is completely different, but... Um this was 9 months out of the year and I would say my own schedule the first year was uh 5:30 or 6:30 a.m. until 6:30 p.m. uh except on Fridays when we worked late. Wow. Um and then uh that was 5 days a week and then um when we were on distant location which we were two or three times a year we worked 6 days a week. So Basically, uh, when I got home from work, there was basically just time to eat, and sleep, and get up and go to work again.
0: No, you didn't have to. Did you have to do any memorizing on your downtime, or at least? Yeah, sure. Would, uh, even that would have to. You'd have to read scripts on the weekend. You wouldn't have. Yeah, sure. Oh wow. So sure. So it really and was like an eighty-hour-a-week job, or or maybe even more.
1: Well, it was it was a lot of hours, especially the first couple of years. And, uh, especially for Mike and me, because Mike was directing about half the shows. And, uh, for me, the children, uh, had limited hours because they had to be in school and they also had to go home earlier. So very often what would happen at the end of the day was that I would go back and do every scene over again, uh, changing costume, changing hair. Uh, and play the scene then with the script supervisor for all my close-ups. Wow. So I might do all my close-ups, uh, you know, after 5 p.m. every day.
0: Which you did for year after. I mean, did you ever have burnout, not just from oh, your yeah. character? Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: The hours and um, the way that it's hard to take proper care of yourself because you're working that many hours uh it's it's very hard to uh adjust uh, so i think some people are just you know really tough workhorses and and it doesn't bother them but a lot of people develop um illnesses a lot of marriages break up um serious life is 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 tough on people it's tough on people it's tough on families and one of the reasons people uh, on the crew adored Michael was that it was a, a show that was wholesome. It was a family show, and they pretty much could count on going home at 6, 6.30 at night, which was a lot better than any of the police shows, for example, where they were out on the streets until 2, 3 in the morning a lot of times.
0: Hmm. Um, And now let me take the question back, even though you get that burnout and all the the tensions that come in when you're doing this six days a week for or five days a week for however many hours, have you um, kept in contact, I guess this is a typical question, with your colleagues? I mean, obviously not Michael Landon at this point, but... um, Well,
1: uh, I lived out of state for about 10 years, and I had kind of lost touch with people, Occasionally occasionally um, I would luck out and someone like Gabs Greer would come to uh, the town where I was living and uh, shoot a movie or something, and I was able to introduce him to my little daughter and uh, Kevin Hagen, who played Doc Baker, and I were able to talk on the phone. And um, occasionally I there would be a party or something, and I was able to c- reconnect with Catherine McGregor, who played Mrs. Olsen, or Melissa, you know... Well, and she, she's
0: like head of equity now, so you, you must be in some... resident
1: president of the Screen Actors Guild. Well, oh, SAG, excuse me, yeah. That's right, and I, I think uh, it's absolutely marvelous of her to do this. I mean, it's something she didn't have to do.
0: Um, let me ask one more, uh, one more great-neck question, I guess I'll call them. Um, the series ended by characters in the series blowing up the town... Including the church, the schoolhouse, the mercantile, etc. Um, you know, in, in order so that they wouldn't leave anything for the people who wanted to take it over. Um, I assume her question is, did this feel like a a kind of an odd way to end a somewhat gentle series like Little House? Or maybe, maybe that isn't her what her implication is.
1: Well, I certainly felt uncomfortable with that ending. I uh, thought it was a sad way to end it. Um, I'm not quite sure why Michael decided to do that, uh, but I have a theory.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And my theory is that he had had it with Little House on the Prairie, and that he wanted not to be tempted, because he knew the network would come back and ask him for one or two specials every year. There was certainly an audience for it. There still would be today. And... um I think he wanted not to do that. Hmm. And if the town wasn't there...
0: There's no real way. Um, right.
1: Yeah. Um, now you know the Simi Valley fire has destroyed the Little House and Barn as well.
0: The real one you mean? Or the yeah. One, yeah
1: mm. So none of it is there. Wow. Let me
0: ask now um, just about... At the moment, as you said, you're you're, you're pushing the Little House DVD and we'll talk a, just a little more about that. But what are your... your other theater plans or your other plan plans over the next year or two or three?
1: Well, you know, um, I have a very uh, peripatetic life now. It kind of depends what, what parts come up and uh, whether I'm free to do them. And so I don't know what my plans are, except that I have a play that I'm writing. Ooh. And I'm looking forward now, after several months of traveling, to get back and get settled and get back on a regular routine and turn out another draft of this play. Do you want to talk about it yet, or not are you yet. not comfortable with that? Not yet. I'm still in process.
0: Well, let me ask, um, since I'm also a theater buff, I, or, uh, it could also be a film, but if you had your druthers at this point to, to play a particular role or, or famous character in theater or film, mm-hmm. or
1: who would it be? Well, of course, with film, you can't say because you never know what films are going to be made.
0: Well, the way, but they remake every film also now, anyway. So I, <laughs> I I open the question to include that. But you can also go with theater, if it were Shakespeare, or Moliere, or
1: or whoever. Yeah. Well, um, I'm I'm very interested in uh, us continuing to do some of the great classical roles in the theater, uh, Chekhov and Shakespeare, and um, there are many other parts that interest me. Now that I've entered this new uh, age range, Mm -hmm. uh, I had an opportunity to do Daisy and Driving Miss Daisy a couple of years ago, and I would uh, very much like to do that again within the next 10 years.
0: Well, funny, you don't look Jewish. No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have played a number of Jewish parts and enjoyed them thoroughly. Uh, For example, uh, Shadowlands, I played the Jewish poet that falls in love
0: with... Um, what's it? What's Stevens? Is it? Not oh, Wallace Stevens. No. It's some... Um,
1: oh. No. That, oh, gosh. is that funny? It's gone right
0: out of my head. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's Lewis. about Yeah. What would you say is the, the most fun you've ever had doing uh, a play? The most fun I've ever had
1: doing a play? Yeah. Oh, I've had a, the most fun... Doing a number of plays, and one of them was Wit. That was about three years ago.
0: That, that was fun?
1: That was so much fun, and I'll tell you why. Uh, the character, although she is uh, receiving the most extreme treatment for her stage 4 ovarian cancer and is going through hell, has a very brilliant mind and a very ironic take on her circumstances, and gets to stand right downstage and tell the audience how she feels about it and what she thinks about it. And the relationship with the audience in that is phenomenal. And the emotional journey from a person who is determined to get well to a person who real and needs nobody to a person who has to accept her humanity and accept her frailty and give herself up to the natural biological end is right. very beautiful journey.
0: Um, did you? I, I have to ask. Did you shave your head?
1: I certainly did. Wow! I had um, a shaved head for about five or six months.
0: Was that odd for you? In other words, to change because because I'm I'm not asking that as a silly question, but as an actress and someone who has a certain persona and is very con- concentrated on a particular look and well, especially it was fun, yeah. you
1: know because I uh, I had I had, had this same look for so long and uh this was a way I felt uh it was almost a spiritual thing for me to uh rid myself of these uh blonde locks, you know, uh and then to say to myself, Well what's going to grow out? I don't even know what color my hair is anymore. Wow. And so my hair has grown out gray. It's a kind of um, oh, silver and dark silver gray. Mm-hmm. And I wear it short now. And I feel like it just catapulted me into a new phase of my life. They say, you know, if you want to make a big change in your life, then the easiest way to do that is to start by changing your hair radically.
0: And that really apparently does something. That's, that's yeah,
1: and the freedom that I feel with this hair is just amazing. I
0: don't know, I've know i been so, going bald slowly for 10 years, it hasn't done a um, darn thing for
1: me. That's probably too slow. You yeah. To, you got to just go ahead and shave it all off, <laughs> and then see, you know, how you feel about that.
0: She, great advice from Ma Ingalls, of all people. Uh, there,
1: yeah, that's my <laughs> beauty secret. Oh,
0: um, oh before I, I forget, I do always get asked this kind of question, but after all those years, eight years on the set, dealing with all those people, one or two of the the funniest blooper, oopsie kind of, you know, hilarious, bizarre moments.
1: Yeah. Uh, Michael uh, was very, very uh, quick with these uh, moments at the end of a scene where we would have played a very somber scene uh, and let's say uh, the baby is sick and he's, holding a pretend baby yeah. and it's wrapped, you know, in a blanket and so on. And then at the moment that the director calls cut, he throw the baby <laughs> and say, whoops
0: <laughs> Oh my goodness. And, and of course nobody was people would have been like completely shocked. That's pretty wonderful actually.
1: Everybody everybody would just howl with laughter.
0: Any other moments or or odd, bizarre happenings?
1: Well, of course, there were a lot of them, but one of my favorites is when uh, Melissa and Allison Arngrim, who played Nellie, had to be in the river, and it was a very cold river. And so they had the girls in these wetsuits, and then they had their little calico dresses over their wetsuits, and they were about 10 years old, maybe. Oh, yeah. And they uh, put them in the river, and as soon as the, they were in the river, they needed to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and they, you know, they sort of raised their hands and said, hey, you know, we need to go to the bathroom. Well, to take them out of the river, dry them off, take them up by car to the trailers, this is on distant location. Right let them use the bathroom, put them back in the wetsuits, put them back in the calico dresses.
0: By the time they got back into the river, they have to, uh, again... So much
1: to- and so much time would have been lost, you know, that the shooting schedule for the day would have been blown. Not to mention there were a 100 people standing around to do their jobs who would be kept waiting in the cold while these girls went up to do their business. So they said... Hang on, girls. We'll get the shot, and then you can go. So they're standing there, and they're just freezing, and they just need to pee so bad. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Allison smiles. Oh, no. And Melissa looks at her and says, You're smiling. <laughs> and she said, It's warm. Ah.
0: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> See, This is exactly the kind of thing they should put on the, the the trailer reel of the DVD. I know it would be a marvelous marvelous moment. It let's, would be. Let's push that again. By the way, it's it's I'm a vision. Is it Emma Vision or I'm a Vision? I'm sorry, I can't remember. I
1: think, I think it's ImaVision. Vision.
0: I'm as in Mary A V I S I O N dot com, where people can find out how to get the first three at the moment, um, three full seasons of That's Little House for, on the Prairie. Hmm? Yeah. And, and and then the fourth is coming out uh, in February. Yeah. Um, I've got Karen Grasley on the phone. I just want to ask one more little question. You've been so great. I mean, we, we've run over time. I hope you don't mind. I thank you. It's just been so much oh, fun. Oh, no, thank you. Talking to you. But i got to ask the other um, question. I don't know if it's the episode that you mentioned before, which you said was very beautiful, but if you had to pick a favorite episode of all the ones that you guys did, it would be The Pilot. No kidding. Why is that?
1: Oh, there was just something so thrilling about beginning this journey. The family was taking a journey into the unknown, and we were all taking the journey into the unknown, and we were all getting to know each other while we were getting to know the characters, and there was something very, very sweet about that. It was a very small group. You know, it was just the family and Mr. Edwards, mm-hmm. and... Um, the occasional uh, Native American, you know. I mean, it was a very small, tight group. And uh, I guess we bonded during that time. And everybody pulled together so beautifully. And it was just a very special experience.
0: Well, everybody can share that special experience over and over and over again on your DVD players uh, by getting the uh, a vision We're all a vision, I guess.
1: I think it's really a a very nice um, quality that they've done on this, and I think people will be pleased. And I know for myself, if I had uh, kids at home now, or if I were a long-time fan, what I would like is that I could watch it whenever I felt like it. I wouldn't be tied to any schedule, you know.
0: And, and it would only be about 52 minutes an episode because there's no commercials. So that, that's also kind of That's right. As, as well. Um, well, Karen Grasley, I want to thank you very, very much for, uh, Dave. for appearing on Dave's Gone By. I want to wish you best of luck both with the, um, with the coming out of all the different seasons. Oh, I assume there will be more to follow as, as the months right. progress. And with all the theater work that you're going to be doing and with everything you're going to do. So once again, thank you so much. Thanks. Bye bye. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on AM 1240 WGBB Freeport and AM 1240 WGBB.com. It's time for the news gone by. A look at world and local events of the past week from a wild and Ingalls Wilder perspective. In domestic news, President Bush surprised left and right wing cronies last week. When he announced a sweeping change in immigration laws, nearly 8 million undocumented workers will be granted legal status to work in the United States. They'll receive the minimum basic wages and protections of American workers. Bush says this will allow businesses to employ foreigners legally to do the low-paying jobs most Americans wouldn't stoop to at salaries that aren't worth the stoopage. Advocates say that the new rules will ease the costly and out-of-control game of illegal border crossing. It will also create opportunities for immigrants to live here, or they can send money home and build a life there. Opponents say employers will be even more likely to mistreat these workers since their status depends on whether they'll have a job or not. Both sides agree the pre-election timing of the announcement is purely political. Newsday quoted one resident calling it hispandering, i.e. pandering to the Hispanic vote. True or not, immigrant groups have to be pleased that the U.S. will also give out far more green cards. That said, they are making the test for American citizenship a bit more difficult. Not only must emigres prove they can speak English know who the president is, and understand the democratic process, but they also have to be very, very clear whether or not they want fries with that. Speaking of distant lands, Hillary Clinton found herself in a sorry state of affairs trying to curry the favor of the Indian community last week. The former first lady was making a speech at a fundraiser, when she brought up Mahatma Gandhi. You know Gandhi, she said. He ran a gas station down in St. Louis. Somehow, she thought this would be funny, not realizing that tasteless, racist, and offensive jokes are only funny when I make them. No, but Hillary immediately conceded that she made the, quote, a lame attempt at humor, and that Gandhi was a great leader of the 20th century. Asked if she would be more careful with the Indian community in the future, Hillary said, oh, absolutely. I mean, if I don't, I'll never get a cab again. In science news, photographs taken by a NASA space rover have given us our best look ever at the planet Mars. Judging by the pictures, Mars is basically a vast wasteland. It's barren, dusty, Bumpy, flat and red, leading NASA officials to compare it most closely to John Goodman's ass. Also on the science frontier, a study in Great Britain shows that since 1989, male sperm counts have fallen by 33%. According to a survey of 7,500 men in northern Scotland, the average sperm count in normal men dropped by nearly a third. Scientists are pointing to drug use, alcohol consumption, smoking, and obesity as factors contributing to sperm count decline. Environmental problems, like pesticides and chemical pollutants, are also to blame. And because the study was done in northern Scotland, it could simply be that men have gotten drunker and sheep have gotten uglier. Asked to give his opinion on the whole sperm count problem, American Idol star Clay Aiken said, I don't know, tastes the same to me. And speaking of taste sensations, responding to criticism that its meals are not exactly nutritious... McDonald's restaurants in the Tri-State area have begun posting the calorie and carbohydrate counts of its most popular items. In a program called Real Life Choices, McDonald's is putting up posters that show not only nutritional content, or lack thereof, but how to make a traditionally high-calorie item less naughty, eating a Big Mac without the bun, or leaving off the ketchup, for example, or asking for an Egg McMuffin without the cheese and butter. Makes it kind of an Egg McNothing, actually, but you get the point. The fast food chain is hoping this strategy will lead to healthier, more weight-conscious patrons. In fact, to ensure that customers get the point, McDonald's is also changing its world-famous sign to read over five billion jiggly fat asses served. Also on the food front, just a week after officials panicked everybody about mad cow disease, now a study warns of bad fish distaste. Published in a journal called Science, the study says that farm-raised salmon have 10 times higher level of contaminants and insecticides than wild salmon. Just our luck. Wild salmon are far more expensive and only available a short part of the year. So people are caught in a paradox. They're warned by doctors not to eat red meat because of cholesterol, and they're spooked by the FDA over mad cow. They're told to eat fish because of its healthy oils and nutrition, but now they can't eat fish because it's poisoned with mercury and dioxins. Government officials are downplaying the new report, of course. They say people should keep eating fish several times a month because the levels of PCBs in fish are so small, there's almost no chance of your getting terminal cancer between now and the next election. In celebrity news, Dr. Gilbert Letterman... No, he's not the celebrity, but he treated a celebrity, George Harrison. When the ex-Beatle was dying of cancer, Letterman was his oncologist, giving him radiation therapy <coughs> Excuse me, and chemo. Now, the good doctor is being sued by Harrison's family, who say that although his care was totally skillful and competent... I mean, the patient died, but still... Letterman's bedside manner was just a wee bit selfish. The Harrison clan alleges that even though George was incredibly feeble, drugged, and basically non-compos mentis, Letterman forced him to pose for pictures, sign autographs, and sign his son's guitar. It was kind of an unspoken quid pro quo for treatment. Staten Island University Hospital, which is also named in the lawsuit, isn't commenting, though they do say Letterman's contract will not be renewed. For his part, Dr. Letterman says he's done nothing wrong, though he's volunteered to donate the signed guitar to charity. He also says that all of Harrison's actions were completely voluntary, and as such, the doctor refuses to part with his most prized memento, a life-size bust of himself molded by Harrison with his own hands out of his own vomit. Now, here's a model example of irony. A hairstylist was filling her tank at a self-service Georgia gas station when her hair caught on fire. Static electricity was the probable culprit. Her hair rubbed against her clothes and then mixed with gas fumes. I started beating my hair, she told the Associated Press, to get out the fire. And then I saw flames coming out of the gas tank. The fire department put out the blaze, and the woman had to cut her hair and get her truck fixed. Asked about the experience, she put the best face on it and said, Hey, I was just going for the 1990s Michael Jackson look. And since we mentioned Michael, it's only natural that the next news item is about a 13-year-old boy. Or rather, about his mom, Ayadeli Nzinga of Berkeley, California. Well, she was trying a homemade cure for the child's head lice. She doused his hair with gasoline. Only problem was, she took it too close to the stove, and he became a human torch. Said the mother, quote, One minute I was twisting the gasoline out of his locks, and the next minute my baby was on fire. Well, Koran Nzinga suffered burns, over 23% of his body, and the worst part, even after all that, he still felt lousy. Yes! Yes, it's the Dave's Gone By Bad Pun of the Week. Perhaps the worst one we've ever done. Because every week we make a play on words so hair-raising, so unkempt, so freaky-styly that we have to call attention to it with the comedy bell. Ask not for whom the comedy bell tolls. It tolls for bad jokes. But bad jokes make for good advertising, because you can advertise your product, event, or service in conjunction with this segment. Or pick another segment, the news gone by, the world weird web, Dave's gone cultural, Dave's got guests, or another advertisement. Yeah, that's right. Be creative. Be the first advertiser in history to advertise another advertisement. Maybe your product isn't so hot. Maybe you're a lousy plumber. ...or a clumsy architect... ...but you hear another advertisement that sounds really true and exciting. Well, there's no rule that says that you can't sponsor them with your crappy product. This way, you link your own mediocrity with something good... ...thereby raising the level of your product just by association. Like, if a bum on the street smokes a cigarette, it's a cancer stick. If a hot model smokes the same brand, it's crazy sexy cool. So, if you hear me advertising the Tondor Grill, a fine, tasty Indian food restaurant in Rockville Center, maybe you've got a greasy, filthy little diner in Nude Hyde Park with roaches and dog urine in the sovaki. Your diner can sponsor the Tondor Grill's commercial. For example, this ad for the Tondor Grill is brought to you by Lembeck's Carousel Diner, where disease is no longer a concern. You see... Or maybe you have a newsletter or magazine, and you want to sponsor the ads I do for Performing Arts Insider, the theater guide. So we could do something like, the previous ad for Performing Arts Insider was brought to you by Pregnant Lesbian Foot Fetish Magazine. They can't see their toes, but you can. Anyhow, if these ideas are just a little too far out for you... Then sponsor a segment the old-fashioned way, or just run an advertisement from 30 seconds to a minute or 90 seconds, all at amazing rates, because advertising on Dave's Gone By works on three principles, repetition, humor, and repetition, and it helps us reach thousands of listeners every week with your words through mine. So if you want an easy and dirt cheap way to tell my listeners what you want to say, Advertise on Dave's Gone By. Call 516-295-1511 for all the details. 516-295-1511. Remember, you're reaching local listeners and people all over the country via the Internet. And don't forget, we can include your link on our website and mention you in our weekly emails to loyal listeners. So don't miss out on this opportunity 516-295-1511 Five one six two nine five one five one one, or email Davesgongby at aol.com davesgoneby no apostrophe at aol.com to sponsor the Dave's Gone By Bad Pun of the Week. Don't be good. Be ponderful. Okay. Now, much as News Gone By tries to be an equal opportunity offender, right, left, white, black, fish, meat, We try not to go for the easy ethnic stereotypes. I mean, we do all the time, but we try not to. But sometimes, well, here's a story from Warsaw, reported by Reuters. A consumer electronics chain's idea of starting a sale at midnight went badly wrong in Poland Friday when looters went on a rampage. Said a police spokesman, quote, "...several individuals were very violent and were probably under the influence of alcohol." 150 policemen had to use batons to restore order at the Lodz branch of Media Market after 3,000 looters smashed windows, wrecked cash registers, and helped themselves to merchandise. A dozen people were treated by ambulance crews for injuries... A spokesperson for the Chamber of Commerce reminded the press that Poland is still relatively new to capitalism, and he said that all things considered, the sale was a great success, because the previous year, 3,000 Polish people brought their electronics to the store and demanded the owners pay them. And if you think I'm picking on Polish people, (laughs) you're right. Here's another story from last week, also Warsaw, also Reuters. Three Polish divers at a New Year's Eve party face a police investigation for illegal fishing and animal abuse. They were shown in a newspaper photo plying a freshly caught fish with champagne. And you can see that photo on my website. It's not doctored. It's right up there. Hometown.aol.com forward slash Dave's Gone By. There's no www. It's just hometown.aol.com forward slash forward slash Dave's gone by, you will see the picture that ran in Poland's Nova Tribuna daily newspaper. And there they are, three frogmen in a lake, one of them tipping a bottle of Russian bubbly into the mouth of a medium-sized pike. And one of the divers told news agency PAP that they have found the fish half dead and quote, wanted to restore it to consciousness by treating it with champagne. Police say it's not clear whether the pike survived, although witnesses did say they saw the fish weaving across the ocean and telling a nearby octopus, you're my bestest, bestest friend in the whole wide world, whatever your name is. And what would the news gone by be without an item from the Weird But True column published locally in the New York Post? A woman allegedly stole 50 antique glass eyes from a hospital display case in Kentucky, Police have no idea why she wanted the eyes, or how she could ever resell them without getting caught. Asked if the woman was undergoing psychiatric observation. The police chief said, no, but she is under constant surveillance. And that's the news gone by! We ended with a subtle one there. For January 12, 2004, please send your comments, opinions, and autographed guitars to Dave's Gone By, P.O. Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-0062. one one five five seven dash zero zero six two. Dave's going by box sixty two, Hewlett, New York. One one five five seven dash zero zero six two. It is always a joy for me to get a response from people who listen to this show. Great to know people are listening, are having a good time, are counting the minutes until 21st century music. So if you love this show, if you hate this show. Tell us. Send us a letter or an email. Dave's Gone By at AOL.com. Send me cards, send me letters, but please, no glass eyes. They only make my jokes cornea back after this. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on AM 1240 WGBB Freeport and AM 1240 WGBB.com. Before we wrap things up, I have to do a birthday salute to not one of my top idols or heroes, but certainly one of my influences, and someone who changed radio, absolutely, and mostly, he changed it for the good, at least during the first part of his career, certainly, and actually, there were two modern radio titans born on this date, January 12th, Rush Limbaugh in 1951, and 49-year-old Howard Stern, born January 12th. 1954, and I'm really not a fan or even terribly familiar with Rush Limbaugh. I know he's very right-wing, and I know he's been dipping into the medicine chest of late, but uh, Howard and I go back a good 15-20 years. Not in real life, I've never met him, but I do remember when he was on WNBC, sorry, WNBC, and after that, when he basically transformed talk radio comedy in his move to K-Rock. Now, Among the good things that Howard has done over the years, well, first of all, doing comedy every day, five days a week, and pushing the envelope to get a laugh. I've said many times on this program that a laugh is a laugh, be it a cheap laugh or something really witty and subtle and intellectual. Uh, Howard gets all different kinds, mostly okay, it's the low laughs, but that's all right if he's funny. And there was always something, especially in the early years, very true about what what he was talking about, be it his home life, his marriage, be it going through the newspapers with Robin, Quivers, and the gang. That was always my favorite part, and certainly something that influenced the news gone by. Um, I guess my best Howard Stern story that illustrates why he's been important to me over the years is, uh, oh gosh, more than 10 years ago, I had... uh, data entry job. It wasn't supposed to be, but that's what it turned into at a company that shall remain nameless. And I'd have to get there at about 8.45 in the morning. And basically, the first part of my day was all that. It was just updating data files, names and addresses and things like that. And boring as all hell. So they would allow me, or I just did and nobody said anything, to sit there with my headphones on and my little portable uh, AM, FM radio player and cassette player and listen to the radio. And so once I got into the office, got my coat on, got my cup of coffee, I would sit there and listen to Howard Stern and hear him in the morning doing his thing. And it was also really, really cool because as 10 o'clock rolled around, um, you know, he was supposed to go off. He was supposed to be from 6 until 10. But Howard being Howard said, I'm done when I'm done. And if that's a 10-15, so be it. And if it's later than that, I've got to finish what I'm going to do. You know, the rules of radio don't always have to apply. And that was the really exciting thing about the morning, just to show you what a wonderful job that was, was I always wonder, oh, you know, how late is how we're going to end today? Is it really going to go all the way up till 11 o'clock? And it was always a sad moment, kind of a depressing moment, when the Howard Stern show was over and K-Rock would go back to its normal programming, normal music programming that I didn't care for. And I knew the fun part of my day was over. And I might have more interesting work to an extent than the data entry stuff i was doing but you know i couldn't just sit there and listen to howard and get my head into that um that was over for the day but it was very cool of howard to do what he was doing not only talking for four or four and a half hours but without playing music what a concept that you can fill about 20 to 25 hours a week of humor and not every other five or ten minutes have to play a song just for a break or just because you you were out of ideas. That's amazing to me, or at least it was when I first started listening to Howard, and also hearing him push and see how far the FCC would go. I mean, the concept of putting a naked woman on the radio. Why would that work? It shouldn't. I, I should be able to tell you right now that there are three naked women standing right you know, in front of this glass wall at the the control booth and looking at me and shaking their tatas, and and one of them is actually buggering a farm animal as we speak. But it, it doesn't do the same thing because you know from me that it's not really happening. And yet with Howard, because it really was and because there was this energy going on that he had with his crew and with the fact that it was a true event, suddenly naked women on the radio became interesting, and so did a lot of the other stuff he was doing. Unfortunately, um, and I'll talk about this as far as, far as the not-so-good things he's been doing in recent years, the Stern Show has become too much about strippers and naked women and less about just pure comedy that isn't involved in so much of the sleazy pornography factor. I don't, I don't mind a little, but it's just it's all he seems to do, uh, certainly judging by the television show. Which I guess has a different standard because it's visual anyway, and that is going to hold a viewer's interest more than say, a typical interview or talking about the news, which may grow stale in a day or two but anyway i'm still I'm still praising Howard because it is his birthday and um you know when you thought that he was just a mouthpiece perhaps for his good writers like Jackie and Fred, he goes and writes a hilarious, wonderful book, Private parts. I remember. Reading it in the store, just just you know picking it up, thumbing through it, knowing I wanted to get it, getting through the first few pages and starting to laugh out loud. Uh, one line that will stick with me all my life is when he talks about his somewhat sheltered childhood, at least before he went to school, and he said he was so sheltered he felt that he was raised like a veal, which is one of the great. I don't know if it's a metaphor or a simile, it must be a simile it has like in it, but um, you know that just totally got me. And some of the photographs. In the book, in fact, I've got one on my website hometown.aol.com forward slash Dave's Gone By that just still breaks me up every time I see it. So so go give it a look. And even Miss America was pretty good too. The book he wrote after uh, after Private Parts, and then when he really took his big risk and made a movie. First, it was supposed to be Fart Man, and that might have been a really dumb, disastrous movie. But he you know put that aside and worked on private parts. And he got Betty Thomas to direct it. You might remember her from the role she she used to play on um, Hill Street Blues. And that movie, it made room for some raunchiness and silliness, but it was also very warm and true and different and sometimes brilliantly funny. So so many of Howard's pay-per-view specials and his events, quote-unquote, appealed to the lowest common denominator or were letdowns. But the book and the movie... So far exceeded expectations, and they weren't ghostwritten. I mean, that was him. So he deserved the monster success he had early in the last decade. Now, yes, he has become, to my taste, too smarmy, with too much emphasis on you know sexual objectification. I've got no problem with it on moral grounds. It just gets boring after a while. And the thing I do hold him against him in later years is somewhat of the politicizing and being staunchly for deregulation and fewer radio station owners being able to own more stations. Radio has never been worse, you know, unless you count the internet cable and stuff like that. And the golden age of internet radio is probably past us. So that really I hold against Howard because he really thinking in terms of being a boss or thinking for his bosses, thought in terms, well, you know, it's America. Why shouldn't a capitalist society One conglomerate that can afford to own everything should be allowed to own everything. And that's what's happened with Infinity, with Clear Channel, and things like that. And Howard was a a real mouthpiece for that. Maybe even not realizing just how that would develop over the years. Anyway, um, the other thing on a more creative level, he stopped doing as many bits, the funny three to five minute parodies that he would do, you know, because they're very time-consuming to produce, and you to think of them and write them, which is very different from just doing an interview or or goofing on something. Well, Stern never had any pretense to sophistication or real wit, and he's only laugh-out-loud funny a tiny percentage of his airtime, but so is pretty much everybody. And as I said before, a laugh is a laugh, low or high. And Four hours of sleazy humor while you're sitting in a traffic jam or stuck in front of an office computer is better than the same four hours in the same places without it. So happy 49th birthday, Howard Stern. Here's to 49 more, nearly all of them on the air. And hey, I am having my own birthday next week, January 23rd. It's a big one, the 40th. I am actually turning 40 years old I can't believe it. Certainly don't feel it. And I'm not sure how I'll celebrate it on the air. Although my wife is throwing a big semi-surprise birthday party sometime between now and the end of the month, she's keeping the exact date a secret from me, which has basically wrecked havoc with my theater-going schedule, but the weather's been so crappy I can't say I mind. So I'm going to try and get some sound bites from the party to play on the radio show. But since I don't know when the party is... I can't say whether that'll be next week, or the week after, or the week after that. So, next week might be my birthday show. I'll certainly do some self-indulgent, birthday-related thing, and who knows what else. The only way for you to know is to tune in next Monday night, 6.30 p.m., on AM 1240 WGBB Freeport, and AM 1240 WGBB.com. I want to thank you for tuning in this Monday night. Hope you enjoy the show, and while I'm on the subject of thank yous, of course, a word of gratitude for Grasley, Karen Grasley, our guest earlier in the program, Little House on the Prairie, three full seasons now on DVD, the fourth coming in February, from the collector's edition from ImaVision, ImaVision, Eurovision. And keep on the lookout for the theatrical and other endeavors of Karen Grasley. She sent me... An autographed photo, which was very kind, and she was thoughtful enough to sign it as she does all her pictures with the word peace. And I wish her peace in 2004, not her peace, her peace, and prosperity and success and happiness, which is what I wish for all of you. Well, not all of you, but, you know, most. And I certainly wish it for my good buddy in the control room, engineer Joe Salzone. Listen to his show, his many shows on this radio station, including Your World with Joe Salzone, radio at the speed of now, Sundays at 6 p.m., and the television version of that show, Sunday afternoons at 1 on Channel 20. A reminder, also you can hear Joe Monday nights at 6 just before my show, and the Sunday night version of Your World, on which I appeared last week, not not a day or two ago when I was a, a guest, but two weeks ago, I was on the Sunday night program, and that is going to be broadcast on TV, most probably this coming Sunday, January 18th, at 1 in the afternoon. Long Island Cable Vision. this Sunday, 1 o'clock, it's a very fast-moving hour, we had a lot of fun, and we both treated each other with the utmost courtesy and professionalism, Until the last five minutes, when all of that went out the window, and it became really fun. Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock, LI Cable, Channel 20. And i got to plug one other show on this station, Bonnie D. Graham, hosting Long Island's Dating, a show for singles and solos and selective somebodies, Friday nights, 6 p.m. I want to thank the Tandoor Grill, of course. Yummy Indian food on the South Shore, 222 Sunrise Highway in Rockville Center, just across from the Long Island Rail. See their full menu at TandoorGrill.com. Not Tandoori, Tandoor. Leave off the last I for india And if you have some india comments and ideas to share with me, please send them to my attention at davesgongby at aol.com. Snail mail is good, too. Dave's gone by, Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557. That's Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557. We reserve the right to read your letters on the air, name withheld upon request. Of course, it's my request. You have no say in the matter. If it's a really dumb letter, I'll mention your full name several times and make sure all your friends and coworkers are listening at that moment. Now let's see, we've done the thank yous, we've done the letters, we've done the promos. Oh yeah, it's time for the shameless hawking. One of the ways this radio show survives and thrives is from your contributions. So if you want to support Dave's Gone By, you can advertise or sponsor a segment of the show or buy merchandise like past episodes of the program on cassette. Pretty soon we'll have some on CD, which will be really cool. You can also buy my book. Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World is a book of plays, all of them quirky comedies, some darker than others. So if you like what you hear every week, you just might like what you read. The book, the cassettes, check them out, all on my website, hometown.aol.com forward slash Dave's Gone By. That's HTTP, hometown.aol.com forward slash Dave's Gone By. If you forget the URL, Just Google search, Dave's gone by, and we are right up top. Well, we're coming right up top. Top of the hour here, 8 o'clock, so I better say my farewells. Adios and a cheese. Thank you again for listening this week, next week, and every week. Be with us on January 19th, Martin Luther King Day. Well, now, really Martin Luther King Day, he was born on the 15th, but America values its three-day weekends more than it treasures its pioneers, so next Monday is King Day holiday, but no vacation for me, I'll be working hard for your entertainment 6.30pm, January 19th, with the 61st episode of Dave's Gone By, until then, don't miss your days going by, this is Dave Lefkowitz, Good night, great grassley. Gone by Take the clear clean water for to quench my thirst. And I will watch the very boats and they'll get
1: high against the fluorosan, against the moral sky.
0: and I will walk and talk and garden all. Don't, don't, don't get so old again mm-hmm. Sweet thing